What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Got episode 68 coming at you guys today. We've got typical Cold Seat episode today. MLB golf, a little bit of MLB news with the uh, so actually some news pertaining to one of the one of the hosts. I won't say if it's me or Brett, and probably Brett. Uh, with the MLB news today, uh, breaking last night. Got some golf golf update, or was it was it last night or the? We'll get to it in a minute. It may have been the night before. My days are gonna run together right now. Um, got a hockey update off week in the NBA that we're gonna touch on some college basketball rankings. We have a great great slate of matchups this weekend and later this week. So. I believe we got five ranked matchups, one, two, three of them being top 10 matchups, which is awesome. And then another one, actually four of them being top 10 matchups, um, which is awesome. Got two more co- to round out the coaching hire cycle uh, in the NFL. Got one more GM hired as well. Um, so we'll talk about that. Get kind of a final coaching tally. Um, we will not do a Super Bowl prediction this week. We'll do it next week. Um, and we'll recap the conference championship games, uh, which was two competitive games. I think one of them was kind of a bad football game. The other one was a good football game. Yada, yada. And then we'll cool it off with the ice bath. But you only got to crank up the heat first. So I think Brett's got a more compelling hot take today. Uh, so I'll let him start it off. Yeah, so college baseball season uh, right around the corner, 15 days away. We'll be heading for, to Arlington for the opening tournament two weeks from today. Um, and Texas Tech is one of the teams playing the tournament, obviously, why we're attending. Um but Texas Tech kind of moved on from a lot of guys, whether it be transfer portal or the draft. They lost um, plenty of really good players. I think that their top four starters, the three weekend guys, and then the top guy out, I mean the top midweek guy, I think they're going to combine to have a sub four ERA. That'd be really big. Um, you look for your your leading ERA guy to be around a two five, two six. At least it's been the past couple of years for Tech. Um, you know, a couple years ago, they had a guy sub two last year, I think was like two, six or so. So if you can get four guys below, like to average below four, I think that'd be really huge because the team is loaded offensively this year with young guys. And I think they get a chance to develop not only this year, but next year. Um, yeah, my, my hot takes just that the top four guys are going to have a sub four ERA, uh, when the season concludes, whether that be in a regional, a super Omaha and the college world series, um, but I'm really looking forward to the season. I know we've talked about it every now and then on the episodes, but two weeks from today, um, and then you know, two weeks from today plus an extra day will be their opening game versus a top a ranked matchup, the lone ranked matchup on the opening night of college baseball when they face Tennessee. I mean, you talk about a kick a kickoff of the season, man, with those two teams, um, those two, I mean, perennial top twenty programs, a couple powerhouses in the college baseball world. Um, I think. I think when you talk to people who don't know college baseball, like they don't know if they bring up Texas Tech as like a power. But when you talk to people who know college baseball, people are talking about Tech. I mean, they're, they're top 10 recruiting classes every year. They hit the portal really hard every year. Um, they're on an SEC team, which I think is like the biggest kind of, I don't know what I'll say, like, hinder, like hindrance to them. But he that's just like a SEC baseball is just different. Um, like it truly is. But again, like for non-SEC, they're – arguably the best non-SEC program in the country. I think you could make that argument, especially with Texas leaving the Big 12. Um, you can make an argument they're a top, I mean, they're definitely a top five program. It's kind of Oregon State, Stanford is up there as well. So a um, couple Cal couple Cal teams that are up there as well. But I mean, you could make an argument they're a top five program um, that's non-SEC. So um, obviously Tennessee is a, a powerhouse as well. So um, it should be a great night to open it. I know Tennessee's got an, on a preseason All-American pitcher. Who the tech lineup will be seeing. So a really good, really good test for them. Um, great test for the presumed uh, starter of that game, Kyle Robinson. Uh, had a great summer, had a great fall. Um, so we'll see 
I mean, it's be again. Tennessee lineup is going to be no, not a bunch of slouches, so should be a great matchup for him. Good test for the whole team. Um, hopefully they win. Hopefully we see a Friday night win. I know two years ago when they were there, the last time they were in Arlington for this series, they walked off on Friday night against Michigan. Um, actually, Owen Washburn, true freshman, doubled the walk it off, which is pretty crazy in his first college baseball game. Um, and route to and route to a, a phenomenal freshman season for him. So looking for a junior about junior season bounce back for him as well. But um, yeah, it should be fun. I think. Uh, the Friday night game will be awesome. It's probably going to be the best matchup of the weekend, I think. Like that, that'll be the best t- team matchup because it's yeah. Is, T- is TCU there or are they are they at the they next aren't. weekend? They're the following okay. weekend. That's right. Okay, I didn't I didn't remember if they were there. So I know it's it's Oregon, Nebraska, Tennessee, Tech, and who are the two Big Twelve? The other, is it Baylor? Uh, oh, Baylor and OU, I think. That's right. Yeah. So te- I mean, Tech, Tennessee are the, probably the two best teams there, and it should be the best the best matchup of the weekend there. So right. Um, turning hot Friday night, which is exciting and. Uh, I'm I'm could not be more excited for it. Um, with my hot take here, <coughs> pardon me. Um, going with uh, again, I had a little bit of trouble figuring out a hot take today, so I went with the the Chargers keep Keenan Allen, which I don't think is a total surprise, but they also keep Khalil Mack. Um, kind of looking around today at spot at over the cap numbers, and there's obviously some places that you could trade. I got Khalil Mack to go contend, but I I I also think that they're gonna want to keep an edge guy, and they can't keep Joey, I don't think. And I think Khalil, I, I just, I have this gut feeling that they're going to want to keep him. And then you just keep him for the year, eat eat the cap hit, or maybe extend him another year, add a void year on um, I, on the end and, and keep him there just so they can keep some continuity in the, with the veterans and be competitive next year. I, Jim doesn't want to lose. I know that for a fact. Jim doesn't want to go somewhere to lose. And they're kind of an interesting spot because, like, if they could do a competitive rebuild this year, picking it at five, picking it at 37, like, those are two two premium picks, five especially. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I have a hunch that they're going to keep both of them, though. Um, it's not the route that I would do. The route that I would do is you is you keep Keenan and get rid of the other, the other three of the kind of the big four contracts they've got um, of Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, and Mike Williams. I think I'd get rid of, the, you know, those those three guys. Um, a couple other cuts you make, but they're you know lesser contracts. But that's the route. But I think this is the route they're going to take. I think they're going to want to keep Khalil. Um, they've got plenty of holes to fill in the roster outside of edge, and I think getting rid of Khalil makes you like you have you have to go get an, an edge to sit, play across from Tuli to Poloto because they have I mean they have nobody outside of that. So, um, I kind of get a feeling they're going to keep Khalil, and it, well, I don't think it'll be for thirty eight million. I think they're going to have to find a way to save some of that money and kind of push it into next year. But um, I think they're going to get creative and, and, and try and keep both of them. I think that's my hot take. Yeah, I like it. Definitely a, you know, a reasonable outcome of this offseason process, process that they're going through. Definitely one of the more intriguing um, processes and um, roles and kind of what's going to go down within that building is definitely one of the organizations across the league to look at this this uh this off season definitely an interesting one be uh really fun to follow along with but that'll do it for hot takes each with one apiece today moving on to mlb free agency really haven't had much going on a couple small things that really aren't that notable um you know if you're a fan of a team that made a move then you're i'm sure you're aware but outside of that nothing big blake snell still um hasn't been signed dylan cease is still a white sock so gonna be waiting on those hopefully something happens um but a team that can make a move for either of those guys does have new ownership 
in the Baltimore Orioles, um, John Angelos and the Angelos family overall, um, who was was the majority owner of the Orioles, has sold uh, a, a control stake essentially in the Orioles that he previously owned for a long time up until yesterday when it became official to a Baltimore native and a big time investor, David Rubenstein for just over 1.7 mil or bill. Um, pretty impressive. Uh, these guys just throwing around money like that. Um, a very smart move for him. And we talked about it a little bit, but it is still going to be reviewed by like the owner's committee and like needs a vote from all the MLB ownership, which is going to go through no doubt. Um, I'm really excited being that it's my team and finally getting out from under the Angelos family, Peter Angelos, the older one, um, is going to be there. I mean, John Angelos, who sold the team, is still going to be a senior advisor, so they are still going to be within the organization, just not, um, at least in John's sake, not holding any stake in the organization. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I don't know if this means they turn around and make a move for a guy once everything becomes official, or they wait till next offseason, but nonetheless, it makes me, you know, Makes me happy that I finally know that, you know, we'll, we'll most likely keep our young core together. We'll be able to start extending guys, um, you know, before their value gets too high. Um, you know, Gunnar, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rushman, Grayson Rodriguez, Jackson Holiday, presumably when he makes his debut and, um, you know, gets some MLB time under his belt. But really looking forward to it. I know it's been a long time coming for all of the Orioles um, fans and really players. I know they're all really excited. So really glad that this finally happened. I know it's been really up and down the past few years in terms of what's going to happen, who's going to sell it. And then you have the lease with Camden Yards, um, you know, all going on simultaneously. And it had, it's just honestly caused a lot of distractions, I think, um, and a lot of wavering um, commitments from the fans and for, for this to be completed and finally uh, behind everyone i think is a big win for the city of baltimore and everyone within that organization i think it's uh it, this is great news for oils fans um i think obviously i mean brett's brett's talked about it I mean, him and i talked about it a lot but Orioles got to sell the team they got to sell the team and get an owner in there to spend some money so um certainly i think good news for the fans i have my takes on the way it, on the purchase structure and the amount like i mean i i think the like orioles Owners got swindled a little bit, but it's this just again that's that's just a kind of like a side note um, that I think they kind of got screwed here, but whatever. Um, not that they got screwed, but like what like this the deal they took was terrible. I don't think, I, okay maybe not terrible, but like this I don't know I don't see the gain in taking forty percent like giving away forty percent now, then just giving away the sixty percent later or whenever whenever kind of the original owner dies, right? Like, I don't, I don't really get that, especially not for, for under $2 billion. Um, I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan of that, but whatever. Uh, I get it. So they, they want the capital now. It's, that's totally fine. Um, again, they, listen, a billion, almost $2 billion. I'm not going to scoff at it. It's just like in the scheme of things and within the scope, like it's a little funny, but um, whatever. Uh I digress. Great move for the fans. Uh, that's ultimately all that matters here, and uh, I think the team will be will reap the benefits of this uh, mightily uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I hope so. Obviously, you know, nothing's been done. You can only project and hope for what's going to happen, but you would think it's going to happen, especially with a guy that, like I said, is a Baltimore native, has grown up watching the team and was more than aware of what's been going on behind the scenes in the front office. So I'm sure he has visions in mind that align with a lot of the fans' visions and uh, really looking forward to seeing it play out uh, the way everyone's expecting it to. So that'll pretty much be it, honestly, for MLB. Not a whole lot going on. Um you know, we have games at the end of the month. Spring training starts. Pitchers, catchers report here pretty soon. But overall, um, not too much going on in the way of play. Uh, really looking forward to seeing the spring training games, both in the Cactus and the um, Florida League. forget what that one's called. Grapefruit League, maybe. Um, but the Arizona and Florida Leagues are the two main ones that teams kind of divide into and each have a stadium in the greater, you know, really throughout the state, whether it be Arizona or Florida, and just drive around playing each other. It's a lot of fun. You have some split squad scrimmages, some full team scrimmages, uh, a lot of fun to watch and see how guys develop within those spring training games. Moving on to golf, though, um, you know, the 2024 PGA Tour season is fully underway. Last week, we had the Farmers Insurance Open at La Jolla, California, as the players competed for the $9 million purse. The South Course at Torrey Pines with the California native Max Homa won it in 2023. This time around, though, Matthew Pavon, the 31-year-old from France, he won at 13-under, taking home 1.62 mil. Solid payday um, for a guy that I'm not sure if he's won on tour before. Nonetheless, it was a little bit of a lesser field in terms of the top name, the big-name guys that opted out of this event. Um, Texas Tech alum Ludwig Eberg finished at 9-under, tied for ninth. So, um, Pretty good tournament himself, a little bit of a slow start, came on strong late and, uh, you know, netted himself a top 10 finish. This weekend, however, um, the first elevated event of the season, the biggest event to date of the 2024 calendar. Um, It's going to be a loaded field. You know, everyone's opting into this one, given that it's an elevated event with more FedEx Cup points. And it is the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, a storied event that occurs every year in, you know, about January, February time frame. The purse is 20 mil, so the winner will be bringing home 3.6 of that. Uh, last season, Justin Rose won it. This season, we'll see how we'll see how uh, see how the tourney goes Thursday to Sunday. I know we're back from the Wednesday to Saturday that we had with the Farmers Insurance last week. I love watching this one. Obviously, a storied golf course, and not only Pebble Beach um, golf links, but also Spyglass Hill where. Players will be playing uh, both courses. A lot of fun. Going to be a fun one to tune into. And then overall, um, not really sure what to expect from this one. But I am overall just really excited for it. Like I said, first elevated event and one, the first of many more exciting events to come this season. Another uh, another solid show for Aberg. Uh, again, it's we 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 love to see. Um, just keep it rolling. He's got to keep, uh, got to keep stacking, stacking quality performances. Again, that didn't, uh, didn't win, but again, just kind of, again, keep stacking them. Um, I think, uh, I would love to see him go, I guess, before compete at the, uh, compete at, at Masters and at the Masters in the Open, the Open and U.S. Open and all, all the majors. I'd love to see him go be competitive at, um, hope he qualifies kind of going into the day, going into day three, um, or I guess round three. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm certainly going to be following him the whole time. Uh, very exciting to see a guy come out of tech and uh, do that kind of stuff. So super cool. 
NHL off week, so we're not going to cover anything that this week. We do have, or no, that's always last week, sorry. NHL this week, NBA off week this week. My bad. Um, go with a uh, all-star break is going to be, I guess right now, we'll finish, we'll wrap, we'll go back into the play on the fifth. When is, is the, the all-star games this weekend, correct? I believe so, yeah. I think it's Saturday or I think it's Sunday maybe. Um, I don't think it's the same day as the Pro Bowl. I know that. I'm pretty sure. Um, Saturday, okay. Early though, it's one o'clock. So, um, yeah, getting a week off. A lot of these guys, I mean, needed it. So, also, I'll say this: easy to get the t- check the standings this week because all the records were like going to add up to the same number. So it was easy to kind of go through and do. Um, but again, um, well deserved rest for these guys. I know hockey player. I mean, it's people underestimate how taxing the game of hockey is. Um, I mean, skating for 60 minutes. A lot of these guys are. Uh, hitting multiple miles skated and it's obviously a physical sport so all-star breaks certainly gonna be fun do they do do they do i mean do they do skills like some skills challenges right they do that's what i yeah. thought um i'll probably tune in on saturday if i got some time i know the basketball games later so i'll probably probably tune in um at the break though we've got uh standings update here a lot of the same some different a lot of the same though um in the eastern conference in the atlantic division uh, Lightning ch- jumped up. I believe they were fourth or fifth last time, up into the top three at number three here at 27, 18, and five with 59 points. Uh, the Panthers and the Bruins still sitting at one and two in the same spots with the Panthers at 66 points, 31, 14, and four, and the Bruins at 31, 99, and 71 points, which is tied for the league lead. Other side of the Eastern Conference is the Metro um, in third. You have the Flyers at 25, 19, and six with 56. Carolina Hurricanes at 28, 15, and 5 at 61. And then leading the Metro are the New York Rangers at 30, 16, and 3. 63 points, same top three that we had a couple weeks ago. But should be a competitive um, East, you know, coming down to the wire. A lot of teams between 56 and 71. Should make for, you know, a couple, maybe a few movements within the standings. So it'll be interesting to see what teams end up with which seed. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, the wild card's pretty tight. I know there's a couple of teams sitting there at 58 points in the wild card, but it's a lot of teams like 52, 51 points there. So um, could see a couple of teams make a make a push post-All-Star break and get into the, a super competitive wild card race in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, we've got all three different, th- same three teams in the, in the top three in the Central Division, but different order. So the Jets are down from number one to number three at 65 points and at 30, 12, and five. The Stars up one from three to two at 30, 13, and six with 66 points. Did watch us. Did I was in person for the Stars overtime win against the uh, the Caps. It was pretty crazy. Um, great game though. And then at number one, the Avalanche up from two to one, uh, with 32, four, and three at 67 points. I mean, all three of those teams, 66 or 65, 66, 67. Um, expect to see a lot more flipping from those guys. Uh, but Pacific. We have the Oilers in third. Um, they keep climbing. They've been pretty hot as of late, 29-15-1 and one with 59 points. Golden Knights uh, sitting strong at second, 29-11-6 at 64. And then at the top by seven points, Vancouver Canucks at 33-11-5, as they were at the top a few weeks ago in the Pacific. Um, you know, Pacific, not as loaded top to the bottom where the Metro is loaded. I mean, it's really close. So look for these teams to, you know, the really good teams kind of separate themselves. And then, you know, two and three maybe within each division get closer and closer. You see more teams um, flopping more frequently. 
lot of fluctuation in the rankings, I think. Be making it will make it interesting uh, coming down to the wire. Something to look for if you're into that. If you're in the NHL, um, the playoff matchup should be should have some new ones this year that we haven't had in a while. So that'll be a lot of fun to look out for as well. Like we said with NBA, um, off week this week, are looking forward to the uh, skills competition, All Star Game. Obviously, normally hits the over of like 310 every year. Um, but really looking forward to it. I know there's going to be a lot of new young guys in the skills competitions. We're going to have a Steph for Sabrina three-point contest, which should be fun to watch. Definitely going to be tuned into that. A lot of um, good events and festivities going on there in New Orleans, I believe, where it is this year. Moving on to college basketball. Um, rankings update, ranked matchup preview like we normally have every week since conference play started. When you look at the AP Top 25, it comes out every Monday at about noon Central. Our biggest risers this week are going to be Iowa State, up 11 spots to number 12. And then you have New Mexico, number 19, up six spots from 25. And Wisconsin went up seven from 13 to six. Um, As you look at the teams that have fallen the most, uh, Oklahoma went from 11 to 23, down 12 spots after they lost to UT and Texas Tech this past week. Auburn dropped eight spots from eight to 16. Um, So still a lot of movement in the rankings. The top five remained the same of UConn, Purdue, North Carolina, Houston, and Tennessee in that order, one to five. TCU back in the rankings at 25. Um, Alabama back in the rankings at 24. A lot of movement going on, like I said, week to week. But as we look at the ranked matchups, this is the best weekend of college basketball to date this season, and it might end up being the best until March Madness starts. Like you said, five ranked matchups, four in the top ten. Uh, but we'll kick it off here with the Big 12 one. We have number four, Houston, at number eight, Kansas. In Lawrence, um, I know Houston's really, really good, but just with the way Kansas is, not only having really good players on their roster, but the way the refs call games at Allen Fieldhouse. It's going to be tough to go against Kansas, so I'm going to go with Kansas in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kansas as well. I will say Kevin McClure Jr. sat out on – will they play on, on Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday? Yep. Yeah. Um, I think I ass- he should be back. I was say, it was a bruised knee, so I assume he's playing against Houston. Right. Um, like you alluded to, and this is in every Big 12 game, typically the home team gets a lot better calls just given the crowds in Big 12 stadiums and – or arenas and just just the nature of, of, of Big 12 basketball having such a, a heavy home court advantage. I, th- I think that's certainly Kansas notoriously has gotten a lot of calls going their way in the last few years. But um, I'll say Big 12 basketball officiating has not not been good this year. It's usually not been great. It's been feels like it's been worse this year just across the board, um, across all for all teams. Um, so again, I think I'm going to Kansas as well. Being an Allen Fieldhouse is big. Um, it's maybe the best home environment in the entire country. Um, one of the only few I'd put ahead of, te- of, of the USA and Lubbock. So, um, yeah, I got to know Kansas in this one. The next one here, Duke at North Carolina, seven at three here. Um, I'm going to go North Carolina to win. They're at home. Yes, that's kind of the deciding factor for me here. And um, not much said in the fact that this it's a historic matchup. Obviously, some new faces in the coaching circle there between the two teams. And um should be another great one. And I'll take the home team to win this one as well. Yeah, I don't think I'd be wrong if I said this was the best rivalry in college sports um, is Duke versus Carolina basketball. Um, it has been for a long time. These two teams are consistently right up there, um, hence, you know, both in the top seven currently. 
know North Carolina lost their midweek, uh, I believe, to Georgia Tech. I think there was, you know, a perfect trap game looking ahead to Duke. But college game day is going to be there, as they are per- seemingly every Duke-Carolina matchup. Um, a lot of fun. Should be an elite environment in Chapel Hill. And really looking forward to checking in on that one. Maybe if I have the time to watch it, check it out. Um, another Big 12 matchup we have, top 20 matchup, 12 Iowa State at 18 Baylor. Baylor coming off a crushing triple overtime loss to TCU at home last Saturday. Back at home this week against a really hot Iowa State Cyclones team that has played really well both at home and on the road. I think this one could be really close. I'm going to go with Iowa State to win it on the road, though. I just think, um, like I said, they've been really hot and really consistent throughout Big 12 play, and I think they get it done here versus versus a Baylor team that doesn't look as well coached or as well disciplined as they normally are. I'll also mention not quite the home court advantage I thought they'd start having with a smaller stadium. Still a little bit lackluster, which is surprising for such a, a such a perennial program. Um, small school, though, so I, I kind of get it. Um, and we go Iowa State as well. They're scrappy. They've played tight on the road, which is another big one. And they're hot. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably the hottest team in the Big 12 right now. Um, number TCU. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Iowa State to get the, the upset on the road. Next one here, number five, Tennessee at number 10, Kentucky. Um, again, I'm, I'm going I'm to go with Tennessee to win this one in Kentucky in the upset. Um, Kentucky, I don't want to say they're like, they're, they're like falling and collapsing apart, but they're on a little bit of a cold streak. Um, I don't know if Tennessee's the team to break it against 15 and four on the year. They've had some really quality wins. Um, so I'm going to go again, a great home environment in, in Kentucky, but I'm still going to go with, uh, with Tennessee to win this one. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee, I believe, just lost. Um, can't remember against who. Kentucky had a road win uh, last Saturday in Fayetteville against Arkansas. That's where college game day was. Um, you know, both teams kind of similar to this point. But I'm going to go with Kentucky to, you know, make a statement game here, win it at home, a great environment. And, uh, you know, Tennessee's been a little up and down, so I don't know if they're going to get the win on the road. So I'll go with Kentucky here. To round it out, we have a Sunday game. In the Big Ten, Purdue at Wisconsin, two at six. Um, should be a really fun one to watch again. Um, you know, Purdue obviously with an incredible team led by uh, the favorite to win National Player of the Year, Zach Eady. Um, Wisconsin, I really don't know a whole lot about their roster, but I know they're really hot as of late. I know we mentioned them as a big riser. I think they went up seven spots this week, so that should be a fun one to look out for kind of the lone Sunday game. It'll be, you know, the NFL Pro Bowl stuff, and it'll be this Big Ten matchup that we'll have on tap for uh, Sunday sports. So we're looking forward to that one. But I'm going to go with Purdue to win it. I just think they're much more seasoned, um, experienced team that has been through it, has, you know, had plenty of big road games, and they've come out on the winning it, winning side more times than not because they've been such an incredible regular season team. It's just they haven't been able to get it done in the tournament. It feels like the story for a lot of uh, a lot of Big Ten teams. Um, two here that I think have a shot to be really good the regular season and still kind of fall short in the in the uh, in the in the tournament. So um, I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. They're hot. They're at home. Purdue, as good as they've been, they've also looked really human at times. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with Wisconsin in, in a little bit of an upset, but I think they I think they get a big win here at home and uh, kind of make a statement that they're that they're legit. And they're not just a hot team uh, in the top 10, the top 10 here. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin to get a statement win. Um, I will give a little bit of an, a college basketball nugget. Two years ago today, greatest college basketball environment that will ever exist. It will never be topped. Um, when Chris Beard made his return to Lubbock, I can tell you firsthand, like, and Brett would echo it, like, 
the most absurd environment I've ever seen, been at, or witnessed in my life. Um, absolutely unreal. I think I don't think there's a single quiet second in that building as soon as everyone got in. Um, you could hear it from outside the arena. You could hear it on TV, uh, which is unreal. So I'll say um, I won't say it's like the best environment in college. Ba- I think college basketball, like night in and night out. I think it's a top five environment for sure, night in and night out. But I won't say it's the best. That is the best environment I've ever been to. Jeff, listen, Jeff Goodman, known Texas Tech hater, said it was the best college, like the best environment he's ever been to. And he's been to some crazy games. So, yeah, I mean, that, um, was, that was absurd. I think we had the, you know, just the line to get in. I got in line eight yeah. hours before tip, and I was still maybe a couple thousand students back. Oh, we had yeah. Probably 50 tents up with, I'm sure, multiple people in each tent. We had loads of trucks, trailers lined down the street uh, for students. There wasn't even a line. It was kind of just a mosh pit of like Truly. 10 wide for a quarter mile. Yeah, the, the line um, went out the door. The line went out the door with like two hours to go. Right. And I think just to be able to get in to witness that was incredible, even though we, were in, we didn't make it down to the lower section. Um, a lot of fun. Probably the greatest month we had as tech students sports-wise. I mean, we that kicked off the month. Then we had the whiteout where uh, we beat Baylor. And then a couple of days later, we went to Arlington for the baseball tournament. Yep. And that was only the first half of the month. So, um, yeah, special team a couple of years ago. This this team this year has a chance to get near where they were. I don't know if it'll be the same, but a lot of fun. That game was incredible. And two years two years ago, it was crazy. 18-0 at home is wild. Yeah. I will say I missed the Baylor game. Uh, I had a test like the next morning. And I remember like, I didn't go to the Baylor games. I wanted to study for it. And it may have been the first test in that class. Yeah, I think it was the first test in that class. Uh, didn't go, stayed home and studied, and I bombed the exam the next morning because I spent I I, I I they curved it so I ended up passing, but like I I failed the exam raw score like I I bombed. Um, I ended up getting an A in the class. I'm a sl- I'm gonna slight flex. I got an A in the class, so I, I made it out the mud. But yeah, I bombed. Um, I don't know if it's because like I watched the game the whole night. Like I I I, I should have just gone. Like yeah. I had maybe lost like an extra hour of study time, but like I I basically like watched the game the entire time. We were in, like this. I was like in the, like, I was with someone else studying like in the study rooms, like at like our old apartment. You know what I'm talking about? Those those rooms at the Scarlet. Yeah. <clears throat> we were in there and I and I had like I had those little TVs, so I put the game on the TV and like I got no I got nothing done for the most part. Like I don't know. I uh, I definitely should have just gone to the game, but whatever. I was at every other home game. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Every other home conference game, which is awesome, 18-0. And I made the Texas game. Dude, there were people, like, like just throwing beers into a crowd of students. Yeah. With, like, th- three hours out. Like, I'm talking, like, it's four. It's, like, four or five o'clock. The game's at eight. Like, we're, we're all hanging outside the stadium, and people are just, like, there's just, there's a big truck with, like, a big platform on the top of it. People were just hucking beers off of it to students. No, no ID check. Nothing. Like, that was awesome. Just, just Exactly. Like life stopped in Lubbock for a day, for an evening. Like I'm talking for like a whole day almost. Cause people started, people, we played Mississippi state the Saturday, the Saturday before I remember. Cause we had to remember we had to leave it. We had to leave. Yeah. We had to get out of the line at that game. Yeah. We will not talk about why God we had, we had to get out of line at the game, <laughs> leave. And it was a blowout. And then apparently people were like setting up tent. Like people didn't go to the game. They set up when everyone went in. They set up tents at halftime. 
Like people left the game at half, came back yeah. with tents. Like you couldn't find a tent at any like any of the academies here. The Cabela, like they were, everyone sold out of tents because people were buying them and setting them up because they don't you know they're not stocking 80, 80 tents per store. And people were camping out for like literal days. Like like people were skipping class for for for, three, for you know for the whole day for a whole two days. Like it was it was absolutely absurd. Absurd. Like life. Like there were people like coming out with like massive smokers and like cooking for students. Like they were there. There was like free. There was like a like bunch of vendors were there. I think there was a brewery that had like free beer they were handing out. Like it was it was ridiculous. Um, and like the university was all for like I had class canceled for one of my what well, one didn't cancel, which is unshot unsurprising for that guy. But like life stopped truly. It was crazy. Um, life in Lubbock centered around that one game for for that for that day, and um, it was pretty it was pretty insane. It was pretty special. I know Coach McGuire. Was like out the night before, like handing out food, like passing out a bunch of food. Dude, if we the camped players. there, we would have had like five meals just given just to free, us. Just free, yeah, free meals, yeah. I know Joey. I know Joey was there because like, he hadn't coached a game yet, but he was like there meeting students, meeting people, like handing out food. I think he had like that and like because it, it, it was freezing, it was super cold. Remember that? It was like yeah. 30 degrees, so he was handing out like hot chocolate, hand warmers, food, like all this stuff. It was crazy. People were like. People had like beer die tables, beer pong tables set up like on the urban ops, like on that big field. Yeah. Like they had like kickball game. Like dude, it was in absolutely absurd. Like it was truly like a music festival was going on, but it was a basketball game. Like the next day, it was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, truly like some Duke UNC stuff. Like right. genuinely, that's what it looked like. Um, pretty crazy. So I just wanted to kind of we had some time. We're almost we're a little bit almost done, so I figured we'd talk about that for a little bit. But yeah, um, pretty pretty crazy, and um, it's very very glad we got to we got to be there for it. What, truly like sure. a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah. All right, that's college basketball today. We got uh, NFL and then uh, ice bath and we're out of here. So, um, actually, before we get coaching hires, I'll give a little shout-out. Senior Bowl's going on right now. Well, maybe we'll do like a little bit of a Senior Bowl segment on during the next week. Um, maybe a recap. Made some awesome performances this week. Some guys making a lot of money. Not a lot of guys hurting themselves this week, which I, which I love to see. Only a couple guys I feel like have hurt their stock, but – um, senior rolls awesome. I got senior, but we're actually in a break between the two practices right now, but I got it on my iPad sitting here right next to my, right next to my laptop. So, um, senior rolls been awesome. I love it. It's been, it's been a great time. Um, yeah, let's use some thoughts on the get coaching hires. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of guys helping themselves this week, um, you know, balling out, whether it be, you know, one-on-ones in the trenches or receiver corner, um, tight end safety. A lot of guys have played really, really well. Um, like you said, we'll talk about it next week. Obviously, we have the game. We have the Shrine Bowl tonight, the Senior Bowl this weekend, both on NFL Network. Um, so we're looking forward to tuning into both of those. And then after that concludes, we'll kind of get a full recap, stock up, stock down type of stuff. Uh, next week, as it'll kind of be lighter, we'll I maybe have one higher, if any. And then it'll be a Super Bowl preview next week. Um, but we have had some hires this week, three uh, coaching or head coach or GM hires. We have had a good bit of coordinator hires across the league, but we're not going to really touch on those just because a lot of them are names that people really aren't familiar with, or just they really don't care because it's not their team. Unless it's your team, we don't really care a whole lot about coordinator hires. Unless you're like diehard, diehard fans like we are, they're like, oh, that was a terrible hire. Oh, that was smart. Um, but for the most part, coordinator hires don't really mean a whole lot to most people. Um, head coaching, though, we have had a couple, both within the last 24 hours. Seattle Seahawks uh, interviewed Mike McDonald on Tuesday in Baltimore, uh, flew back, asked Mike to fly out to Seattle with them. 
And then yesterday had a second interview, if you want to call it. I think they were just finalizing terms of a contract because soon after he was hired and announced as their next head coach, I believe the sixth or seventh in Seattle Seahawks history, taking over for Pete Carroll, who was 72. Mike McDonald is half his age, only 36. Spent times as spent a good bit of time as a Ravens coach, working up the ranks as a you know grad assistant to a scout or not scout to a position coach. Uh, went to Michigan for a year, called their defense, and really solved Ohio State for him uh, the first time around. And then came back to Baltimore uh, in last season and this season to call the defense as the defensive coordinator. Ha- did an incredible job. Um, I think we had five all pros on the defense. Um, three or four this year. But, um, but yeah, he did an incredible job. Obviously, the personnel helped him out a little bit. But he was... I mean, he locked down the Shanahan system for most of this, for every game. He shut the Chiefs out in the second half this past weekend. And, uh, you know, deservedly so, becomes a head coach in the NFL. And it's going to be for the Seattle Seahawks, like I said. Really looking forward to seeing how that pans out for him. I hope he does really well. But uh, really unfortunate to see him leave. Um, Just the timing sucks. And I think I really, really wanted him to be in Baltimore long term. It's just not going to end. Not going to be the case at least for you figure he's in Seattle at least three years yeah I mean unless he gets fired like he ain't leaving Seattle there's there's no right. need like you don't see you don't see head coaches like leave to go take another head coaching job it just doesn't really happen um yeah so unless he gets fired he's gonna be there until he's not um until he retires probably so which I know I'm not gonna speculate and make that that prediction I just more of a statement of like hey he's either there until he gets fired or he retires he's usually um kind of a goal or how it goes so or they amicably part ways or mutually agree to separate right. or whatever. So, um, which is basically just like a, like a cordial way of firing a guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good, I mean, listen, I thought, I thought Mike was the second best coordinator on the market, uh, when this, when this whole thing started behind Ben Johnson, um, kind of independent of like what I wanted for my team and blah, 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 whatever. I thought Mike was, a, he's a great, he's a great candidate. I think what he did, the past couple years with Baltimore, I think developing talent that wasn't necessarily like elite talent coming into the NFL, developing that kind of talent in the secondary and defensive line and putting together offenses, defenses that could shut out uh, kind of the popular scheme is really impressive. Um, I think the kind of thing I bring up, and this is with every defense coordinator that gets hired, is like, hey, what's the what's the plan for the offense? Right, like, it's a whole other side of the ball. What's the plan for that? Um, and I think when you look at like Raheem Morris gets hired out of LA and it's like, well, he got, he brought Zach Robinson with him as his OC, which was a great hire and a guy who would have, was a top OC candidate this off season. So in the last two off seasons. So, um, you know, I think again, I, I'm, I think it's a great move. I just, I wonder what Mike does with the offense. Um, right. I know he and Greg Roman only, they only had a few years of overlap. Um, obviously one year in 2022, with both coordinators, um, I tend to think he would do well in Seattle, just given the personnel, the like the brand of football Seattle's like ownership and, and front office wants them to play kind of fits what Greg wants to do offensively. And I think the I think the big thing is like the quarterback. Like when you look at like the Chargers as the other as the other Greg Roman option, what Greg's done well is is use quarterbacks who are game managers or are young quarterbacks who are learning and adjusting to NFL NFL passing defense, like secondaries. Like, you know, when Lamar was a, a second year player, truly like I'd call him like a half rookie because he only really played half a season in 2018. Um, right. So he's, and he's kind of was still adjusting and 
all that stuff, right? Like he's adjusting to an NFL. Not that he was a bad passer. That it's a bad narrative, but he was adjusting to the NFL passing, you know, passing game and, and secondaries, blah blah blah. So there's that. Um, he did well there, and even in 2020, when Lamar kind of that's when we started to see the kind of the downfalls of, of, of Greg Roman's offense. And then in San Francisco, it was like, Hey, he, he was good with Alex Smith and with, and with Colin Kaepernick guys who were game manager passers and, and weren't necessarily top 10 quarterbacks, right? Like I think it's fine. And, and with running quarterbacks, like with cap and, and with Lamar, like when you can build that into the offense, it's great, but I don't think Justin Herbert's a running quarterback, nor do I think he needs to be babied as a passer, right? Like I think Gino make the argument like, Hey mate, like, Gino's a game manager plus is what I'd call him. Like he's a little better than a game manager and he'll have games where he looks great, but that's not, a, it's game to game. It's going to be, you know, he's a game manager, which is fine. That's Brock Purdy's a game manager. He's about to win a Super Bowl potentially. So that's fine. I just think with, with the, the personnel they have, the offense that like the offensive identity that Seattle, I think wants to still have, I think Roman fits there better. So, um, but other than that, like, I don't know who Mike pulls from. Like, I don't know. There's not a lot of offensive minds he could pull from Baltimore. I think the one name that comes to mind to me is Matt Weiss. The problem with Matt Weiss is like <laughs> the guy got the guy got canned at Michigan because he was quote doing inappropriate and illegal things on like a, a University of Michigan computer. It's not good. That that's just inherently just very bad. So like mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking about like some really bad stuff um potentially there so like i'm not gonna speculate not even something i want to touch on the pod but like that's just kind of the situation like that's that's the connection i could see as a guy who was gonna get who was going to get nfl oc buzz and then gets canned so like you know matt weiss is kind of the one connection i would look at being at michigan together but um i don't think he's getting a job i think he's done coaching forever probably which uh it's kind of a different conversation but again that's my question obviously mike had a plan for it He's that's they didn't hire him with no plan. Right. So uh, we'll see what he does. Um, but it's a good hire. And I think for the Ravens, it's been a tough four days. Um, lost a lot of talent. Um, they're probably going to continue to lose a couple a few little more talent in the front office with a GM hire. We'll talk about in a second. And then um, could potentially lose some more coaches leaving with Mike. So we'll see. Um, although, like my I think my view of it is like, hey, man, the Ravens have always done. They've always replenished talent. Coaching talent and roster talent, and there's no front office be- that 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 does better at developing front office talent. Right? Like Ozzy's, Ozzy's still involved there. He's not the GM anymore, but like he's still involved in an extended he's got an executive role. Eric DeCosta has been really solid. I think he's an underrated GM. Like I think they are. They're still the they're still kind of the model of like developing staff talent and coach and, and roster talent. Um, there's a couple other programs you can talk about, but again, just from a holistic, from both standpoints, I think that I think they do a really great job at both. I think you thought about the Rams in there as well, but um, I, I think they'll be okay. Again, they're not going to find another Mike McDonald this year. The guy's a stud. That's why he got hired, right? So um, it does sound like Seattle kind of threw a lot of money at him. The six-year contract, we don't get we don't get like exact figures. We get like rough estimates, and like we got a Jim Harbaugh figure, but like that's a big name coach with the contract right. was a big one for him. So I'll be curious. I don't. I, I kind of what the rumor is on Mike's number. I don't really know, but it's for six years. So it's a lot of guaranteed. But it's all there. It's all guaranteed money. So um, clearly, you got a lot of money, and uh, I don't. I think Seattle's a good a good organization to land at too. So um, happy for Mike. I think it's a great job for him. But uh, like I said, tough tough loss for the Ravens. I think for sure. No doubt. But with a 
with departures comes promotions. And yep. as of 12.01 Central, the Ravens hired a former player, Zach Orr, as their defensive coordinator. Official. 31-year-old. Yep. 31-year-old, uh, former linebacker, only played for him a couple years before he had a you know a big-time injury scare and had, was kind of forced to retire. Uh, was an all-pro in his second year, and really looking forward to seeing how he uh, you know he takes the reins of the defense and goes about his methodology with, I'm sure, some influence from Mike McDonald and some others. But a uh, quick rise for him, I think, should be a lot of fun to see how he goes about calling the defense. But really looking forward to seeing uh, how that goes. Not a whole lot of options in terms of defensive coordinator hires, but I really like him. One of my favorites, young guy that has a lot of energy, and I think that's what this team needs. Other head coach that was hired um, just a couple hours ago um, was the Commanders, bringing in Dan Quinn, who was the Cowboys defensive coordinator and was really good in the regular season, struggled against the Packers in the postseason. But um, he was really solid for them. Obviously took the Falcons to a Super Bowl uh, when he coached for them for a few years about a decade ago. Um, now about, yeah, about a decade almost. Um, but he, nonetheless, becomes a head coach yet again with Washington and that new ownership there. I don't think he was their first or second option, but with Ben Johnson opting to return to Detroit and Mike McDonald taking the job in Seattle, I guess that was their prime candidate left on the market. They hire him complete the coaching scorecard and every coaching head coaching vacancy has now been filled. There are still some coordinator vacancies there, but as you run down the list from most recent to first one filled, um, Commanders with Quinn, Seahawks with McDonald, like we said. Falcons hired the Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris. Panthers hired the Bucks offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. Chargers hired Michigan's head coach, Jim Harbaugh. Titans hired the Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. Raiders hired their interim head coach, who took over midseason in Antonio Pierce. And the Patriots hired their associate head coach, Gerard Mayo. Um, so eight out of eight vacancies have been filled this offseason. Um, and I don't think we'll see any more. I think unless Andy Reid retires, that'll be it for the offseason. And um, that's that. But as we move on to general manager, I'll let you touch on the Chargers. Um, but the Patriots still have not hired one. So we don't really know what direction they're going. But that's the lone vacancy uh, in the general manager front that has yet to be filled. Yeah, the, the, I'll, I'll say this. So uh, on Dan Quinn, this is why you have a backup plan. This is This is why you have a backup plan. They didn't have one, clearly. They, 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 there's been a lot of reports come out about Ben Johnson the past couple of days. Mark Slareth was on a, a radio show talking about like, hey, I talked to Ben Johnson a month ago and he only wanted the Chargers job. Like, okay, cool, but like that's a little like suspicious timing that it comes out the day after the Washington swung and missed on him. Um, they reported that he wanted a lot of money. It scared some teams off. Blah blah blah. Um, I think Ben Johnson just wanted to be back in Detroit and get one more run at this thing next year. Um, Jared Goff's last year in, under contract, I, they drafted him in Hooker last year in the second round. I think they want one more go at it before they kind of retool the, the quarterback room and have to pay a lot of guys. So um, I get it. I also think there's some better jobs open. Like there's some top jobs open next year with Dallas probably open. Philly's probably open next year, I think, just given unless they make a run. Like I think they're going to get rid of Nick. And you look at like the Chiefs. Like what happens with the Chiefs if Andy Reid retires? You know what I mean? Like that. There's some coach on the market that could go take that job, namely being Ben and Mike Vrabel. Yep. So I think, I mean, I think Vrabel takes that job, whether it's this year or next year. I think, I think that's the that's that's the Vrabel spot there, maybe right. Dallas. But again, like 
Ben going back doesn't like it's like it was surprising, but it's I don't I get the move, you know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. I will say him canceling on Washington while they were in like in the air, it's not a great look. And I think that's gonna come back to hurt him next year in the cycle. I think teams are going to be a little hesitant to fly out to see him. Like, hey, man, I know they're going out to see Aaron Glenn, too, but, like, they're coming out to see you, Ben. At least, like, let him get there, talk to him, interview him, be like, all right, guys, like, listen, I appreciate the interest. I wanted to take the interview, but, like, this isn't the job for me. I want another year here, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I don't know if it was maybe the most professional way to go about it. I don't know if it was his agent that did it or Ben. Like, I'm not going to say it was all Ben. Um, Because I don't know the guy. I don't know how it operated. But just kind of as it looks, it's not great. Um, So I think Washington hiring Dan Quinn. Listen, the thing with Dan Quinn, like, I always thought Dan Quinn was going to be a quality candidate just based off the defensive staff he'd bring with him. Between Joe Witt, Al Harris, two awesome coaches, did numbers for Dallas in the last couple years. So I think that's the appeal to Dan Quinn. He's been there before. Clearly a quality – like, his players really really like him. Um, I just, like, what are you doing offensively? Like, I'm sorry. What are you doing offensively? You're drafting a quarterback yeah. at two. You're drafting, like, you have to, this very much screams, and it's different, but, like, in the same breath of, like, hey, you've got a rookie quarterback, you just hired a defensive coach, this could go poorly in a few years. It sounds like the Chargers when they hired Brandon Staley. Very, obviously, right. like, Staley's been in the NFL, like, literally six years, five, six years, so, like, very different, and, like, Dan's been in the NFL a long time, been successful, took team to the Super Bowl. So I'm not saying he's a bad – that level of, like, risk. It's more just like, hey, you've got to have a plan for the offense. So that's that's my that's my main concern. But, again, um, this isn't as bad as people are making it sound. Like, it's – people want to, like, totally throw all over – like, to throw up all over the, the commanders because it's fun. But, like, I don't know. I'm not a huge hater on this um, like everyone else is. I just kind of, I don't know, whatever. Um, we'll move on to the uh, the head coaching hire or the the general manager hires. Like you said, New England, who knows? They may not even name a, they may not even hire a, a GM. They may be like GM by committee. Uh, literally, who knows? We'll see. Um, yeah. But Chargers make a GM hire, completes largely the, the whole cycle for everybody. I know New England's kind of an outlier. Um, hired Joe Ortiz away from Baltimore, who was the director of player personnel for them. Um, I says this was the guy I wanted the minute that we that we fired Tom. This was my top can. I know Adam Peters and, and Ian Cunningham were the top candidates, and Cunningham was like easily my number two um, after Peter because I, I kind of felt like Peters was going to be in Washington when they did the finalist thing and whatever. Um, and I wasn't as high on Peters as everyone else was. Um, I really liked Cunningham, really liked Joe. So I think those are my two. T- those are my easily my top two options. Um, I think I like I liked Cunningham a lot. I also like that he's like a former offensive lineman. That was that's super sick, um, super smart guy. But I know like I think like deep down like Joe was truly like my my favorite just pure GM candidate. Um, you come up through the ranks in Baltimore. There's not a better place to do that. There's not a better player. 26 years. There's no front office that's been better consistently for 26 years than Baltimore. There just hasn't been um, from 26 years ago to now. It's just just how it is. So. Um, him being there for 26 years, building a lot of relationships there. Obviously, there's a relationship with Jim, kind of by proxy with John. Um, they're, I know they're pretty tight, um, so I know that's that's a big one. I know uh, Daniel Jeremiah was was super pumped about this hire for the Chargers. I know he's uh, 
he was tight with Joe and he during his time in Baltimore as a scout. Um, probably, I do wonder, like, I, like, I know, I'm sure they, like, they use the, DJ works for the Chargers on, like, a game day thing. He's, like, he does radios, the, uh, him and, uh, Matt Money Smith do the, like, the radio call for the game, like, do the audio, so, um, if you listen to the Chargers game, like, Chargers Network or whatever, I don't know what their radio network's called that they do on the app or whatever, but they do, they do the game calls, uh, in SoFi, which is cool. I think they, I think they go on the road, too, which is, which is sweet, so, um, but yeah, so DJ works for the team in like a small capacity. I know he's real tapped into the draft right now, and he's busy there. And he's in Mobile, all that stuff. But like, I wonder, I wonder if he knocked on 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 the office, and be like, "Hey guys, hire Joe." You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure he yeah. vouched for him. And then it'd be dumb not to tap into that resource too, like because DJ's so plugged in across the NFL uh, with scouts and all that stuff, and GMs and front offices. I could not be more excited about Joe Ortiz. Um, this was my. This is my personal, like I said, my top candidate. Brett knows that. I literally, as soon as as soon as we had time to get rid of Tom, I was like, hey, I'm trying to get Ortiz from Baltimore. Um, so again, it's a it's a tough loss for Baltimore. I know that uh, Joe's bringing uh, Corey. I cannot pronounce his last name. It's impossible. Do you know how to pronounce it? The analytics guy, like Kruick. Yeah, Corey Kruick or something like that. He's coming over from Baltimore. He's the lead analytics guy in Baltimore, probably in a similar role or a little bit of a promotion um, in. In, in LA, I know that the Chargers are keeping former interim GM, is assistant general manager JoJo Wooden. I know they're keeping him on at least for this draft cycle, and a lot of the scouting will stay in place. It's kind of how it goes. You bring in a new GM, and then you kind of like slowly replace the scouting team, um, kind of as you as you finish the draft process. Because um, obviously, like the Ravens have a draft board, and like they've been working on it for a while. And you're actually going to bring the entire scouting staff with you, right? There's going to be a mix. So um, I don't know if they keep JoJo long-term. I hope they do. I, he's, I, I, I'm a big fan of JoJo Woodens. I think he does a good job. He did a nice job uh, in L.A. As the interim GM, making a couple a couple critical moves, I felt like that were important, mainly cutting Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, but I'm pumped about Hortiz. I think it opens a lot of doors for the Chargers to be kind of manipulate the draft board, especially on day two and three. Um and get creative with the contracts and the cap space. So I'm, I'm could not be more happy about Joe Ortiz. Um, I'm living for it. And um, like I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. And this is a, it's a real sign of things to come for the chargers and, and, and the change that's happening in that building. So um, I know a lot of fans wanted like Ed Dodds, who I was never really sold on. He was like the coin, like the coin to Harbaugh guy. Ortiz was just, the, he's the best option. I'm, 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 I'm stoked. Uh, couldn't be happier. And um yeah, I mean, he's he's uh, he's a stud. Super pumped for Joe. Yeah, he's a guy that just is just constantly in love with scouting. I mean, he could tell you about you could tell you like everything about a guy that you'll see drafted like 220 overall. Um, he's just loaded with knowledge year after year. Gets in on these guys early and uh, seemingly you know is right more times than not. As a director of player personnel with the Ravens, he was kind of the head of scouting. Now, obviously, there were a lot of scouts under him that kind of reported to him in a way, and then also had reported to Eric DaCosta and Ozzie Newsome, but a really good hire, I think, as a GM. He'll flourish, um, and it's a great year to have a new GM with the picks y'all have. Uh, should be a lot of fun and really intriguing to see which direction he goes, and uh, both in the draft and with free agents, current contracts, players, trades, um, a lot of different avenues they can go down. Should be a lot of fun to tune into or follow along with. Um my last little bit of NFL, like I said, we'll have a full Super Bowl preview and predictions next week. 
But a uh, quick recap of the Commerce Championship weekend. First game was the AFC Championship, Chiefs at Ravens. Chiefs won 17 to 10. First two drives, uh, well, the Chiefs, Ravens had a punt and then Chiefs touchdown. Ravens touchdown, and then from there, really wasn't a whole lot. The Chiefs had 10 in the second. Um, but really, from those first couple drives, pretty much shut down. I think one of the Chiefs touchdowns in the second, or the Chiefs touchdown in the second quarter was on a short drive because of a turnover. Um, but yeah, it's really not a whole lot to this game. Mahomes and Kelsey were, you know, dominant for most of the game. The refs obviously did play a role, um, but it was it wasn't you know wasn't the main reason the Ravens lost. They kicked themselves in the foot a lot. They had three turnovers, two in the end zone. Um, you know they were one foot from a touchdown and fumbled it, reaching over the goal line, and then threw a pick in the end zone on what could have been called pi, but it wasn't. Chiefs ball and that pretty much sealed it. Um, Seventeen to ten, really disappointing game. I thought we were going to get a lot more from this one. Yeah. Bad football game. Competitive, but bad football game. Um, I, I'll i say it since you – it would – I don't know if – I'll say it. I thought the Ravens got screwed on some calls. And it, listen, like there was a tripping call on Justice Hill that should have been called. Like that got missed. I'm not going to sit here and nitpick every missed call. There were some no calls that I think in critical downs for the Ravens that I think didn't get called – that I think if you flip the situation, I think they get called for Kansas City. Like when, listen, even though the ball that Lamar threw was a it was a bad ball, he shouldn't have thrown the ball in triple coverage. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily in his direct vicinity. Likely still got tackled. Like he still got wrapped up downfield. Like you can't do that, especially with the balls in the air. That's the that's that's defensive pass interference. Like I think that has to get called, and I think it does get called the other way if that makes sense. Like even though it's a bad ball, it's not right. a good throw. It's not a throw you should make. I still think that gets it has to be thrown, and it probably gets called going the, for the for Kansas City. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I, I think there was some some bad some bad defensive pass interference calls that were missed for the Ravens, um, and just some critical mistakes. I mean that, that that's part of it, right? You, you've got to have. Um, I think you saw a young guy in Zay Flowers make a couple uncharacteristic mistakes that he's going to learn from and get better. And he's a rookie, right? And he's going to get better. You gotta know you can't. You don't get. You don't get a push off the ground and a and a and a ball and a ball spin. You don't get both. You get one. They're not gonna let you have both in the NFL. You can't. You, you don't have to. You don't have to touch the ball at the goal line. See the next down. It's first down or second down. See the next down at the one yard line with that offensive line, that run game. See the next down. Right. Those are things he's gonna have to learn. And that was ultimately the difference in the game. I felt like was the Ravens made some uncharacteristic mistakes where at times felt like they were pressing like Lamar from the ball to triple coverage likely putting his hand like hey man you're not open put the hand down you know what I mean so I just felt like there was a couple listen the, the critical plays went for, and we saw it the week before with Kansas City or with San Francisco and, and, and Green Bay like the critical plays went Kansas City's way they didn't go Baltimore's way right that, and that's the difference in the game because I felt like they were both pretty e- I wouldn't say one team was necessarily better than the other the whole game. They both looked bad offensively and great defensively, but the but the critical downs went poorly for the Ravens, and that's ultimately what's going to lose you a football playoff game, a seven point game like that. I mean, it's going to happen. So, um, I there's no reason the Ravens can't be back here next year. I get that they've got a lot to replace, but there's no reason they I mean they got the MVP. They have a great young core offensively. I think they've been Zay Flowers is great. 
They got to replace Gus. They could also bring back Gus. Like the the O line should be largely the same next year. Um, Bateman's still around. They could get another receiver. They can get rid of OBJ and get another receiver in the first round. They can go get a corner in the first round. Like a lot of the like the defense is largely gonna be back. I think they can bring Geno Stone back. They got to replace Matabike, which they can also do in the back end of the first and second round. Like there's options for them, and I think they can get back to where they're at. Again, having having and what I talk about with Mike, like having the the ability to play multiple defenses for, for for Zach Orr, like that's important. Having a chess piece like Kyle Hamilton and the best the best linebacker in football is key. Like, that's huge for them, right? So um, I think I think there's a chance that they can get back. The AFC is going to be a war next year, 100%. But again, like there's no reason the Ravens can't get back there. Um, and again, I think their young players like Zay Flowers are going to be a lot better next year. They're going to learn from these mistakes and get better. So um, tough one. Obviously, uh, not the ideal outcome, but um, like I said, that's how it goes. You 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 don't win you don't win the critical downs and you're gonna lose a game. So um, it sucks, but that's like I said, that's that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, play calling was really suspect as well. Having the number one run offense, rushing offense in the league, and handing it off six times all game was crazy. When two of those six runs were for more than ten yards, um, it's really uncharacteristic for seemingly. Um, you know, the fourth year in a row that they've made the playoffs where they deviate away from their bread and butter and what made them, what got them there on the offensive side of the ball and um, seemingly just want to turn into a pass first offense and it doesn't work um, when you, when you're, you know, like I said, when your calling card is running the ball. Um, but moving on to the game that followed that one up was the NFC Championship. The Niners hosted the Detroit Lions, which I will say was my preseason prediction. Uh, the Lions, Played really, really well. They were up 24-7 at half and got to the second half, and then the Niners scored 17 in the third, and suddenly it was 24-all going into the fourth. Um, Niners ended up winning 34-31 to advance to another Super Bowl. I believe they're third in five years, or third, second in five years. Um, Their fourth conference championship game in five years. And the Lions gave the Niners you know, a little bit of breathing room. The Niners scored, I think, like 27 unanswered to start the second half, and the Lions really made some confusing um, calls to go for it on fourth down when they could have kicked a field goal. I mean, if they kicked a field goal instead of going for it, you're looking at a game that goes into overtime. So it's really confusing down the stretch. A couple interesting calls from uh, Dan Campbell. You know, I think they went for it three times on fourth down to where two of the times they could have kicked a field goal one time was just a bold decision that didn't pan out, and that ultimately ended up being the difference. Man, 20, 24 on it, or was it twenty-seven unanswered for for the uh, for the for the yeah, Niners? Twenty-seven. Man, it's tough. Um, you know, I think uh, I think here's what I hope doesn't happen, and I'll, and I'll talk about the game here in a second. But I, I hope Dan Campbell doesn't lose this edge because listen, you live and die going forward on fourth down. You live and die by it. And Brandon Staley got away from his bread and butter of going for it on fourth down and being aggressive after 2020 and going into 2022. I think that's ultimately what did him in. Like he changed and he didn't stay true to what he, to himself. And that's, that's a microcosm of like a lot of the things that went wrong, but um, yeah, whatever. Um, but the game itself, I, there, listen, you go for it on fourth down on fourth and two, like the, you drop a play that works and, it, and Josh Reynolds gets the ball in his hands. He just drops it. 
Like it's a, it's an easy first down. Blah blah blah, whatever. Um, I I don't know. I just I feel like um, again they lost some of the critical downs and they and they let so they let San Francisco hang around. They had a couple chances to get stops and they couldn't. They let up a couple big plays. Like the play to IU really sparked that offense for the Niners. Like truly. Yeah. Um, so giving up the big play, giving up the the kind of the, the shot play is tough. Um. Yeah, it sucks. I really wanted to see Detroit get a win, especially after the Ravens loss. I was really pulling for Detroit, um, not only because like they would have been great for that team in that city, but like man, I just don't, I don't want to see, didn't want to see Niners Chiefs again. Um, it, nevertheless, it, credit to the Niners for coming out of that, coming out of half and and having a plan and, and getting after it. Um, I also think when you look at like the numbers, obviously I think Dan Campbell should have taken the field goal earlier in the drive, not taking the timeout, and then onside kicked. You had to get the onside kick regardless or get a stop. Like, here's the thing. Don't hit the – if you don't get the onside kick, you still have three timeouts and you can get the ball back. Yeah. You're, you lost that chance when you took a timeout. So I think that was the biggest mistake, not necessarily, like, taking the field goals. Here's the thing. Badgley is a, a career less than 45% from 48 or longer or 48% or less from 45 or longer, whatever the number is. Not good. Also, didn't take a single, a, a single field goal that long in – outside of a dome this year because they play in a dome and, and a lot of teams play in domes, right? So like he didn't take a, a shot like that outside of a dome this year. And he's not been great from long distances in weather. So like the underlying numbers do say to go for it. And I'm not saying that's the wrong choice. I just think at the end of the game is where he made the mistake, right? Like the end of the game is where you have to take the field goal stay, or like don't take the timeout. You got you you give up the you give up the seconds like because you you take the timeout unless you get the outside kick like you you're losing you're you're done you're done right like you're so yeah. I don't know um I hope Dan Dan Campbell doesn't lose his edge though I hope he stays true to himself next year and um and th- they'll be back I think they can be back next year um the way the NFC looks the the capital that they have in the offseason to go spend I think they can be back next year for sure I think they could be it's going to be tough with the Eagles you would think going to be better uh the packers within their own division should be better but they get ben johnson going back is the, is the to me like right. the biggest get is, is they keep ben they've got a bunch of cap space to go spend like that to me that's the biggest thing for them right they've got a lot of resources plus they keep ben johnson yeah definitely a really talented roster um you know led by a lot of first and second year guys they've drafted really well um that'll pretty much do it for nfl like i said we will have a super bowl preview and predictions next week ice bath time um real quick first home basketball game in a while here for tech this weekend against cincinnati should be a lot of fun five o'clock on saturday central time if you got nothing going on or if you're a tech fan um tune in i believe it's on espn plus so if you don't have that maybe you can get the subscription maybe not but my main ice bath uh, actually Came out an hour and a half ago. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Mark Andrews, the Ravens tight end, is a type 1 diabetic, meaning he has an insulin pump uh, most of the time. Every time he comes off the field, he has to check his blood blood sugar levels. And if they're low, you have to pump insulin. And it's kind of a hassle for type 1 diabetics to keep up with this. And unfortunately, you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. And um, Mark Andrews was leaving Baltimore this morning on a flight to Phoenix. He's from Arizona, uh, flying Southwest. And there was a mid-flight medical emergency. The doctor and a nurse attending to the woman who was 
um, dealing with low blood pressure, um, really low blood pressure. They couldn't find a pulse and required oxygen for her to breathe. Um, a man in the aisle seat popped up and said that it could possibly be her blood sugar and that it, he had a diabetic testing kit. And that guy was Mark Andrews. Um, Andrews basically told the medical professionals on how to use the testing kit and eventually her heart rate stabilized. Um, you know, paramedics met the flight as soon as they landed. Andrews deplaned um, quietly and came up, came in clutch um, when, you know, when someone really needed it. And it's a really cool story. I think a lot of times people view professional athletes, especially in this day and age, as, you know, a lot of times they're like better than the rest, um, you know, too good for a lot of things. I mean, even a fly Southwest, a lot of people aren't doing that for, I think, a more recognizable guy across the board. I mean, a star tight end, it's not like you're like a reserve D lineman or something. Um, for him to be able to do that mid flight, um, you know, help, help a lady that was obviously struggling is a pretty cool story. Um, just, I mean, he always does a ton for the community, a ton back at home in uh, the greater Phoenix area. And then within Baltimore, he's always been really helpful, whether it be in hospitals, um, you know, helping on holidays and stuff like that. So that's just a really cool story from, one of my favorite Ravens, um, truly incredible that he's able to help because obviously he's dealt with that for a long time. Having to deal with it, like I said, after every drive during an NFL football game is obviously huge um, and, a you know, kind of a hassle, like I said. But for him to come through mid-flight for a lady that was in need of help and oxygen um, was really, really nice. And obviously, he you know, didn't have to help, but he went out of his way to help and help the lady get the attention she needed. So it's a cool story that came out about an hour and a half ago. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd share. Yeah, sweet. I saw, I saw like a, a, a tweet of like a, the thread, like I retweeted the thread from, uh, I don't know if it's Pelissero or Schefter or Rap Sheet or some, an insider that I've got noties for on Twitter. Um, hadn't read through it yet. Was planning on it. That's a great story. Um, love to see, love to see more of that stuff reported about less the negative. More of the positive like that. Um, doesn't surprise me. Mark seems like a really like a really great guy. Um, wouldn't shine to see him as a as a Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, representative for the or candidate for the Ravens. He may he may already have been. Like I have no idea. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he is or would be at some point um, or has been. Um, all accounts really good guy, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, man, I'm I'm pumped um, for the for my bath today. Uh, Jim Harbaugh presser intro to your press conference is uh, today one o'clock Pacific time, so it'll be three o'clock Central. Um, got the Joe Ortiz presser on Tuesday, which I think I'm more excited for. It. I'm I'm so excited about Joe Ortiz. Dude. I'm could not be more pumped. Um, but again, the Harbaugh presser today, I'm excited for it. Excited for the fanfare, all that stuff. Um, ooh, Sharon Moore was on the Pat McAfee show today. This just got I just, I just saw this uh, confirmed that. Jesse Minter and Ben Herbert are coming to LA. Big dubs. I'll take that. I mean, kind of the, kind of the, the, the Minter thing we knew, but the Herbert thing was kind of up in the air. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for that. Um, it's getting the strength guys huge. Obviously Minter I'm pumped about as well, but kind of a known, kind of a known commodity at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the pressure today. Um, should be some good quotes coming out of it. Obviously again, the fanfare, kind of the, the excitement, the hype, um, she's really exciting. And then obviously the Hortiz presser next Tuesday, I'm, I'm pumped for. So a lot on the Ritter for the Chargers right now. Um, kind of still looking to see who they're going to hire as the OC 
and then see kind of where they things shake out with the special teams coordinator. I know, um, I know it was reported that Jay Harbaugh was going to be on staff in some capacity. His special teams coordinator at Michigan, um, he was a prior prior to that he was a a position coach. I think he was safeties or linebackers or something like that on defense. Um, but kind of the hang up there for for everyone is that. It was reported to me, and I, I heard a, I heard a lot of a lot of talk about this, and it was even told to me during like during the negotiation days that like, hey, Ryan Ficken is a sticking point for the ownership group. They recognize how good he is. He took them from literally the, the worst special teams group in the entire league to I believe they were top three in the league this year, like special teams DVOA um, this year. So um, talk about literally taking from the worst to the best. Um, the guy's been awesome. I know he's really well respected within the building and within kind of uh, the locker room. So. I know they want to keep Ficken. I know that they did not they did not interview requests for him earlier. I think two of them. Um, so we'll see. I I th- I hope they keep him. I would hate to see them replace him with Jay Harbaugh, just to like have him on staff. Like, hey, just make him an assistant or make him a like a, a, a position coach. Um, I don't think it's worth getting rid of of Fick for that. Um, so again, that that was made again made clear to me during it was like reported that like, hey, it's he's a priority for them regardless for the coaches. And then when the Harbaugh interview, like the second interview happened and it was kind of like, Hey, they're working out coaching staff and all this stuff. Like it was like, Hey, ownership made it clear. Like they want Ficken on staff as the special teams coordinator still. So um, I think Fick will be the special teams coordinator. I think Jay Harbaugh will be on staff as an assistant or some sort of like a, like a position coach. Um, and then the OC is kind of an interesting one. Again, plus about Roman, they've, they request, they've interviewed a couple of people, I think already, um, so we'll kind of see where that goes. But again, I'm good. Uh, big news on the Herbert and Minner thing. But yeah, man, I'm excited for, excited for the press. Like I said, the fanfare. See what Jim has to say. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of a lot of noteworthy quotes, uh, things of that nature. So uh, pumped for it. And uh, maybe he'll drop a couple. Maybe he'll he'll get loose lipped and drop a couple nuggets about what they want to do with Keenan. He already talked about him as like a pros pro and like he was super pumped to meet him. So um, also Jim Jim Harbaugh is just like me. He was starstruck to meet Justin Herbert. He's just like me for real. He's just like me. I'd be starstruck too, Jim. Me too. So, but no, real talk. Um, excited for it. Should be good. I'll definitely be tuning in at three o'clock today. Um, and we're going to hear the questions. I don't know about the Ravens pressers, like every, every other presser, but like, do you guys have trouble hearing the questions from the reporters sometimes? No, we, we can hear them. Dude, sometimes, half the time, it's like, I don't even know what they're asking. Like, I'm just like hearing answers to blind. Like, sometimes you can hear it, sometimes you can't. So, um, yeah, man, I'm excited. So, it'll be, it'll be good. Yeah, it should be fun. Obviously, a uh, new era there in L.A. Um, I'm sure I'll see some clips from the presser. The Hortiz era, baby. But, uh, Run it. Yeah. Run it. Oh, I'm pumped about him. God. Yeah, but it should be, should be a fun offseason. Um, I know, obviously, mostly coaching and front office hires have happened, but a lot of the, you know, obviously, players haven't moved yet. So that's kind of the big deal. Um, to every offseason is what players end up where and, you know, who stays where and who signs what contract. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun to look out for. But that'll do it for us on episode 68 of the Cold Seat Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. And next Monday um, or Tuesday, we will have our fourth edition of the 2024 NFL Draft Positional Rankings, where we rank our top five guys and mention a few guys that just missed the cut. This upcoming week, we will be touching on and covering the interior offensive linemen. So a lot of guys that project as guard, project as tackle, or excuse me, guard or center. Um, a lot of fun to look at. I feel like a good class. Um, you know, a couple 
guys, depending on where you put them at, that could be really, you know, really, really good interior offensive linemen. And I think a lot of teams need those guys this time around in the offseason as compared in comparison to other years. Um, so we're looking forward to that. I think it'll be fun to see how our rankings differ. You know, I thought they would really differ last week, but we had the same exact rankings. This week, I'm pretty sure we're, we're not going to have the same ones. Um, but really looking forward to it. We've gotten into a couple guys. I'm going to try to get eight, um, maybe nine, but probably eight. And then, yeah, we'll tell you all about them, how we feel, where we project them, um, what their role is, and that'll be that. And then episode 69 next week. So loaded episode or loaded week um, per usual, two episodes a week coming out really probably until beginning of May. Um, you know, once we finish out our positional rankings, which we have nine episodes, we have our fourth one coming up. So still, you know, about a month and a half of that. But then once that concludes, we'll get into our six mock drafts and should be a lot of fun. Free agency is about six weeks away as well. Um, so, you know, a lot, a, a lot of stuff happening in the NFL world, especially is what we kind of specialize in, obviously cover a wide variety of sports, but NFL is our, our main focus here on the pod. Uh, but we're looking forward to getting that to y'all. Yeah, no, it's the bread and butter. Um, super pumped for the Iowa rankings. Some really, some quality guys. I don't, I think, and obviously there's a, there's a top guy who's pretty clear at this point in Jackson Powers Johnson, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun class. It's be interesting. I know senior Bowl is a big one for the Iowa class. A lot of seniors, a lot of upperclassmen in this one. So certainly looking forward to seeing uh, seeing some more clips today. And then the game on Saturday, I'm um, certainly going to kind of get the tape from that and watch. So um, pumped, man. Uh, really excited for the, for the class. And then really excited for the two for what we're getting two weeks. But uh, yeah, no, I always oh, I, I love watching offensive line tape. I could do it for hours. So going to be excited for this one. And hopefully I don't spend too much time watching like eight games of one guy. That's it's where I get caught sometimes. Like I gotta stop. I got, like I can't. Just can't do that. You got you gotta watch like a few games and move on, right? You gotta can't spend too much right. time. So I'll do that in my own time with like Chargers specific guys. But um, yeah, man, I'm pumped for it. And uh, kind of wraps us up today. Um, I'll let you have any closing thoughts, and we can uh, we can get out of here. Uh, that's pretty much all we got. Um, like I said, two episodes next week. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on Tuesday for the fourth edition of the Positional Rankings. See you guys then.